entitled this message, Paul, the Orphans. In fact, this message should have been preached about six weeks ago um, in the beginning of uh, our series on, on Romans. Because um, the right interesting at times. I don't know if you know, but the author, Roald Dahl, um, he wrote many, many children books. Very strange thing. In his life, he hated being at school. Absolutely hated school. I not believe that. He was a great writer, but he hated being at school. And one day, he was sitting outside in his classroom, looking out the window, and across his school was a chocolate factory. And that's where he got his inspiration to write Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. You see... Lives of authors can be quite interesting. And this life of the author of the book of Romans, his life is also very interesting. And James just read for us what was happening. Paul was on his road, on the road to Damascus. Paul was heading down a road in order to to arrest Christians. And on that road, he was stopped. On that road, he was confronted. And um, the question that I want to answer this morning is this. Why was he stopped? Now, I know you lovely people here have never, ever been stopped by the police. I'm looking at you guys here. I can see no one ever will ever be pulled on, on the side of the road. You know, the blue flashing lights that you see others get. You never get that. And so, you know, but when you are pulled over on the side of the road, the question that you need to ask is, why have you pulled me over? Now, they won't buy the question that you only pulled me over because I'm black. That doesn't buy it at all. The question is, why have you pulled me over? I remember one time that I was, I was stopped by the police. I know you don't really believe that at all. <laughs> But I remember that I was stopped by the police one time and, and the police pulled me over. And as they got, got out of the car, I asked the officer, well, excuse me, officer, why you pulled me over? He said, you know what, I, I think there's a problem with your, with your wheel. It seemed to be wobbling on the way as you drove. And, he, and he, he was right. And he was able to sort it all out. And I got into my car and I thought, that's the first. Getting pulled over by the police for, for, you know, for a nice thing. You know? And so when you get pulled over and you're stopped, the question should be, Why? Have you stopped me? Well, here we have this man being stopped. I've heard two testimonies um, in the past. One lady, um, she uh, was given a testimony, and when she was speaking, she was pregnant, and she had a little child. But before she was pregnant and had this child, she was going to commit suicide. And she woke up one Sunday morning and she said, I'm going to commit suicide. That's it. Life is completely um, rubbish. I'm, I'm, I'm going to commit suicide. And as she was walking down to the place where she was going to jump off, she saw a church. She went in for a little while and, and nothing was happening there. And she go, I'm going to leave this place and I'm going to go anyway. And as she got up, she left. And she got to the front doors and as she was going out, the man standing out the back of the door stopped her and said to her, excuse me, sweetheart. Whatever you're going to do, don't do it. She was stopped. There's a friend here, I don't know if he's here today, but my friend Lee Wilson, 
I don't know if Lee's here today, but if Lee's here today, he's the next to get baptised. Ah, Lee, are you? Ah, there's Lee, right at the back there. Lee, I've got one more space this morning, if you want to fill that, you're very welcome to. Um, but Lee um, gave a testimony. One day you will hear his story next year, maybe, when he turned around and said that he planned to kill a man. He took out his eye. Planned to do it. Had a gun ready, had everything all sorted out. Isn't that right, Lee? He's right. And God stopped him. That's why he's here this morning, not in prison. He's here this morning. The Lord stopped him. And so we have this issue with this man, Paul. And my question is, why did God stop him? Okay, he stopped this this woman from committing suicide, stopped Lee from doing what he was going to do. The question that I need to ask this passage is why did God stop this man? Three things I want to say to you this morning. The first is this. The reason why God stopped him was because he was good. Sorry? He was good. Sorry. Because God was good. No, because he was good. And that's right. I, I, I know the confusion, Jill, but I know these people are here. Like, what are you talking about? If I say the wrong thing. What do you mean? That he was good. I don't understand it. I don't get it. You know, what do you mean that Paul was good? I'll tell you this. You may be surprised, but Paul came from a very good family. Paul's family were Roman citizens. In other words, Paul was born as a Roman citizen. You got to pay a lot of money back then to be a Roman citizen. Paul came from a good family. Not only that, but Paul was a great student. Do you know he could speak about four languages? He could speak Latin, Greek, Aramaic, Hebrew. In fact, this is what he says about himself. Look what he says. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I want to tell you this morning that Paul was a good man. Paul not only had, was a great student, a university standard type of guy, but Paul also was a man who was trained to work with his hands. He was a hard worker. He built tents and stuff for a living. This man was a hard worker. This man was trained intellectually, but also he was religious as well. Let's add that one into the mix. But he had to be stopped. Now I can hear your voices. Why? Why does he have to be stopped? If he was such an intellectual, can speak four languages, if he was a hard student, working very hard, if he was somebody who was hard worker, why on earth would he have to be stopped? Well, the reason why he had to be stopped, because he trusted in his good works. That's why. He trusted in the fact that he 
was good. And he forgot what the Bible says. The Bible says, he knew this, because he's in the Old Testament, but the Bible says this, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. He knew that. That was in the Isaiah. That was in the Old Testament. But Paul here, he was stopped because he thought that he was good. He was not like those out there. Not like the prostitutes and the drug addicts and the gamblers and the cursors. He wasn't like them. No, no. I'm better than them. I'm just good, he said. And God turns around and says, Paul, I'm going to stop you right there. Paul, You are not going any further. I'm going to stop you because all your good works have come up to me and I want to tell you I'm not pleased. Your good works are filthy. I can just imagine Paul saying, what? How do you mean that my education, my my degree and my learning and my languages, how do you mean my religion and my good works, how do you mean my heart, how do you mean these things were filthy rags to you, God said, I'm going to stop you right there, Paul. You know, we live in a society full of good people. Folks who will give up their seats on a crowded train for a pregnant lady. People who will put money in Great Ormond Street Hospital for sick children. People who will buy a sandwich and a hot drink for a homeless person on the streets. Paul was like that. Paul thought that he was good. He thought that he can have this great relationship with God because he has done certain good things in his life. But as he was stopped, after he was stopped, he wrote in the book of Romans these words, What a wretched man I am. Before he was stopped, he thought he was so good. After he was stopped by God, he said this, What a wretched man I am. I thought that I was so good. I thought my lifestyle was so perfect. I saw that I was better than others. Those people in the marketplace, those people on drugs and alcohol, those prostitutes and gamblers, I thought I was better than them, but now God stopped me. I see what a wretched man I am. And then he writes, not only about himself, he writes in Romans again, and he writes these words. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good. No, not one. You see, it may look good in the eyes of yourselves. It may look good in the eyes of those around you. But the real question is, what does God think about your life? That is the question. Not what do I think? Or what does my parents think? Or what do my neighbours think? Or what does judges and police officers think? That is wonderful to have a favourable opinion. It's wonderful. But the real question is, 
What does God think about my life? And God will say to you this morning, there's no one who does good. Paul, you have to be stopped. Paul, there's no way you're going any further. You think you're good enough, but I'm going to stop you right there and tell you that your good works is like filthy rags. That's the first reason he got stopped, because he was good. Second thing about Paul, he got stopped because he had unbelief. Do you know what Paul's mission was? His mission in life was to stop this Jesus Christ business. He thought to himself, oh, I've heard about this Jesus. I'm going to put an end to this Jesus nonsense. This Jesus business. I'm going to put an end to it. And his whole mission, when he was in his early 30s, was to stop this whole Jesus Jesus business. And so we read these words. Meanwhile, Saul, that was his name before he got saved, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Ah, he said, these people are deluded. I think a man wrote a book called The God Delusion. Was it named Richard Dawkins? He wasn't the first person who thought that. I think Paul was saying that back then. Paul was saying, these people are deluded. Who do they think they're worshipping? Who do they think they're praising? This Jesus, this is nonsense. I'm going to make it my aim, he says, that I'm going to stamp out this Jesus business. And one of the reasons that he thought this was because he was brought up one way. He was taught that his way was the best way. He grew up believing that his way was the only way. And anyone who doesn't agree with his way had to be ignored, had to be stopped. It's the same today. People are not willing to examine the facts about Jesus Christ. They're not willing. I think, really, a lot of people today are lazy. They're not willing to examine the facts. Just imagine a police officer going into a crime scene and there's a dead body on the floor. And he says, okay, boys, let's wrap it all up. McDonald's shut from 10.30 for breakfast. Let's just go home. You would think, what a crazy police officer. No, there will be photographers. There will be forensics. There will be a, a, a team of people that will take off the whole area and they will investigate why this man is on the floor dead and they want the truth. I was um, driving on the A406 the other day and, and there was a huge traffic jam. People were getting out of their cars and looking down the road and there was every single lane was chock-a-block. And I learned later on that the reason why was because there was a fatal accident down the road. Somebody died. And what the police do is that they shut off the whole road. 
They don't care if you're going on a holiday and you've got a flight to catch in Heathrow. They don't care if you're getting married that day. They don't care if you're going to sign papers for a million dollar contract. They don't care. They are concerned about shutting off the road and getting the crash investigators down and to make sure they get to the truth. Why it happened. How it happened. And they don't care about your schedule. You can sit on the A406 for seven hours, like someone did on the um, M- M25 the other month. Seven hours, you can sit there while they carry out their investigations. My friend just told me the other day that he told his dad a lie. And he's so upset about it that he had to go back to his dad and say to dad that I lied to you and told him the truth. One guy, tongue-in-cheek, said to me the other day, I looked at my son. He's six foot seven, tall, dark and handsome. I'm five foot one, bald and fat. And I wondered to myself, something's not right. <laughs> Some people brought up children that they're not their own. But you know what? We can believe a lie. And Paul believed that he was right. And this Jesus business was nonsense. Until we read these words. Look what happened on the road. As he neared Damascus on the journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Said Jesus, said, said Saul. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Here was Saul on the road, and now he's, he's confronted, and he says, who are you, Lord? And the Lord says, I am the one who came from heaven down to earth. I am the one that was born in a stable. I am the one who lived for three years doing miracles, opening the eyes of the blind, opening up the ears of the deaf, healing the sick, And those with leprosy, I am the one who went to the cross and had a crown of thorns placed on my head, having my back opened up with whips. I am the one that was nailed and died. And I am the one who went into a cold tomb. And now I am the one that had risen again. And I'm speaking to you. Who are you, Lord? I don't believe in you. I haven't investigated it. I haven't looked at it in any detail. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, he says. Whom you're persecuting. Now you may not have that same encounter. But the very fact that you can believe a lie. Not committed to finding out the truth. You know, I'm not accepting the evolution story. Do you know the evolution story? The evolution theory. People accept it because they, they want to accept it. But nobody looks into the evolution theory to see if it's true or not. And I want to tell you, it's a theory. Remember that. It's not evolution fact. It's evolution theory. But nobody want to look at that and see whether or not it's true or not. No, 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 no. I accept that. We have become a nation that are lazy. We don't want to read. Give me the Sun newspaper, somebody says. I'd rather look at the pictures than read the words. 
That's a nation that we have become. But the area of life and death, are we going to leave that to chance? The area of heaven and hell, are we going to leave that? Just as well, maybe I take a flick of coin, it might be right, I'm not too sure. Are we going to leave that and not do our investigation? You know, I like people coming to me and saying, Jerry, I've got a question for you about this Bible. I want to tell you, this book can be pulled apart, questioned, looked in, researched, because it is able. This is the oldest book. This book has been burned. This book has been banned. This book is still alive. And people tell me that it is the, it's the most printed book in the world. Bring your questions. Bring your intellect. Bring your thinking. Do some hard work. And look at the facts. And I want to tell you, when you go away, you will be convinced. Like Paul was convinced. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He was stopped because of his unbelief. Let me just wrap this up now and finish with my third and final point here. He was stopped because he was useful. He was useful. Look at what God said about him to Ananias. Ananias was a, 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 a prophet, a Christian, and God appeared to Ananias. He said, Ananias, go and speak to this man, Paul. I want you to tell him something. And Ananias says to him, Lord, I heard about this man. This man is crazy. This man's going to take your people and put them into prison. I, I can't go to him. And the Lord says this, but the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. My chosen instrument. What? You can't be serious, God. You mean you can't find a better man in him? You can't find another person who doesn't drag young women and older women to prison? You can't find someone else who, you know, like him. I mean, he, he stood and he witnessed a murder of a man. Stephen was stoned and he watched him dying. You mean that you have to choose him? Can't you find anyone else? God says, no. He is my chosen instrument. This man who thought he was good, but he wasn't. This man who didn't believe in me. In fact, he hated me. This man I have chosen to be my chosen instrument. When I look back at the history of our country, England, I see Christians being very, very useful in our country. You go around to Whitechapel, walk around Whitechapel. I know you don't want to walk around Whitechapel. Nobody wants to walk around that chapel these days. But if you walk around White Chapel, you see monuments built by Christians, mission, years ago. You go up and, and, and you will realize that Christians were the ones who built hospitals. Christians were the ones who built schools and started universities, going to Oxford, and you hear universities called Christchurch and, 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 and these names. They're all out there. Why? Because 
Christians were the ones who started these things in the first place. There's a man called Dr. Bernardos who went into London. He himself was a Jew. And as a Jew, he looked into the Bible and found out that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And he became a born-again Christian. He goes into London and everybody's wandering around and, and ignoring the very fact that children were being abused. Sent into workhouses, being sexually exploited, on the streets, dying. And it was Dr. Bernardo's who started building homes to house those children. Not only that, you go over and and look at the slave trade. Who was the man who who helped stop the slave trade? It was a man called William Wilberforce. Wilberforce was in politics. He he came out of politics. He went to be a pastor. And he met a man called John Newton. John Newton used to be a slave ship owner. And now he's a pastor. And Wilberforce goes to him and says, I want to be a pastor like you. And Newton says, stay in politics. You will do more good in politics than what you would do in the church. And Wilberforce stayed in politics and slave trade was brought down. If you were to look, so many men and women were Christians who'd done great, wonderful things for God. And the question is, why? If you were to stop them and ask them, Wilberforce, why did you do what you did? Stop and ask John Newton, who's a slave ship owner, why did you become a pastor? Stop Dr. Bernardo's. Say, Dr. Bernardo's, why did you leave the Jewish faith and become a born-again Christian and help children in London? Why? If you ask them the question, they will turn around and say, listen, I looked into my heart and I saw that I wasn't good. I saw sin. I saw wickedness. I saw evil. I saw ungodliness. I looked into my heart and I saw a heart that deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And then I looked across and I saw Jesus Christ dying on the cross. The righteous person dying for a scumbag like me. And I turned around and I said, I need to commit my life to him. I need to stop serving myself and I need to start serving him. And because they started to serve him, they became useful in history. God is in the business. Now hear me and I'm finishing with these words. God is still in the business of stopping men and women. He's in the business of saying to you, hold on. Where you think you're going? Hold on. Where you think you're trying to, who you're trying to avoid? He's in the business of stopping men and women and turn around and saying to them these words. Look what he says. Paul writes, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. Behold, the new has come. A new creation. And because you can be a new creation, because you can be new, because you can leave the old life, the old thinking, because you turn around and investigate and look into the facts in the Bible, because you've done that, you can leave the old. And Paul will turn around and he will say this. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God 
was making his appeal through us. We implore you. In other words, I beseech you. I beg you. Be reconciled to God. That's what he's saying. Don't be detached. Don't be separated. Don't be divorced from God. No, no, no. Paul said, I implore you. I beseech you. I beg you. Be reconciled. That's the message of the gospel. It's not, oh, well, take it or leave it. No, you have men of God begging and pleading with you. Why? Because they know that this book is so true. And they know that Christ is alive. And they know this. They know this. God made him who had no sin. That's Jesus, you know. He had no sin. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. I'm telling you, I love the fact that in Christ, I am righteous. Outside of Christ, outside of him, no matter how much good I do, it's no good. I'm so thankful to God that I am in Christ. Because when God looks at me, he doesn't see my good works doesn't see my sin or my wickedness. No, he sees Jesus in me. I'm so glad that I'm in Christ this morning. And I want to tell you this morning that men and women who preach this book will turn around and plead with you. Don't stay outside. No, no, no. Come inside Christ. But you may say, but I'm good already. I don't need Jesus. My dear friends, even your good works are like filthy rags. I don't want to say, it's not my message. It's the message of the word of God. Even the good things that you've done, the great Ormond Street visits and the the wonderful things that you've done in your life. Yes, don't get me wrong. It's wonderful to do good things, but to God, they won't get you into glory. Everyone, the drug addict and the alcoholic, come down the same level with the judge and the lawyer. They're all the same in the God, God's eye. And every single one has to be found in Christ. Amen. My dear friends, I'm so glad that when I was 12 years old, I opened my mouth hearing about Jesus dying on the cross. And I opened my mouth and I said, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Make me useful. I didn't think I would ever be a preacher. <laughs> Come from Dominica in the West Indies. They speak so fast in that country, no one can understand them. <laughs> no one could understand me. I couldn't understand my mom and dad. <laughs> but you can be useful in God's kingdom. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I, I thank you. I thank you that you stopped Paul. I thank you that by stopping him, you reminded us that you still are stopping us, men and women. I thank you that you stopped Sue. Coming from the life that she came from, you stopped her, Lord, and you brought her to faith in your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you that you stopped Jan in all the 
heartbreak and sadness of her life, you still came and turned her life around. That she now stands here giving testimony of your goodness. Thank you, Lord, that you're still in the business of stopping men and women. Oh, God, today I beg you that you may cause people today to start thinking about your word. Lord, I don't want emotions. Don't want nice, fluffy feelings. But Lord, we want intellectual thinking about what it means to worship one who rose from the dead. Lord, may we examine the evidence. May we be moved and convicted by your spirit. And may we come to the understanding that Jesus Christ is Lord. You said to Paul, you stopped him on that road and he asked you, who are you, Lord? And you said, I am Jesus. May that name, the only name, remain in our hearts. May the name of pastors, musicians, singers, church workers, may they all disappear. And may the name of Jesus Christ be ever exalted. For Christ's sake. Amen.